Hey everybody, welcome to the EquipCast. My name is Jim Jansen and I'm your host. And I've got a great conversation for you today with Father Simon Lobo. Father Simon is the pastor of St. Benedict Parish in Halifax, Nova Scotia. For you nerds out there who follow this sort of thing, you know that is the Divine Renovation Parish, or at least the first one, uh, where uh, Divine Renovation first got started. Uh, Former pastor, Father James Mallon, was the author of Divine Renovation, and Father Simon was his successor. Father Simon is great. He talks about what it's like to follow Father Mallon when you have a very different set of gifting and a very different set of uh, weaknesses. He talks about how he utilizes coaching and a leadership team and all sorts of people around him that help him serve and lead as a pastor. He talks about the secularization in Canada and how at St. Benedict, they have worked so hard to create a culture of hospitality where people belong and how that sense of belonging has led people to conversion to Jesus Christ. Um, He asked some very challenging questions about how is your parish making disciples? And he gives some very inspirational and prophetic reminders that the Lord loves you regardless of whether or not you can see the fruit that he is bearing through you. It's a fantastic conversation. He talks about preparing homilies with a team so many awesome things in today's conversation. You're going to love it. Take a listen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the EquipCast, a weekly podcast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. I'm your host, Jim Jansen. Now let's dive into some encouragement and inspiration to equip you to live your faith and to be fruitful in your mission. Let's go. Father Simon Lobo, welcome to the EquipCast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. I am really, I'm really excited to have this conversation. I referenced this before. We usually have like a pre-conversation before we turn on the mics. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, this is great. We need to like stop talking and actually <laughs> turn on the microphones and record it because I sometimes get carried away and have a cool conversation. Father, for for people's benefit here, we always like to start the EquipCast by giving people an opportunity to share just a little bit of their story, their journey of faith. So, Father, what's what's your story? Well, I grew up in Ottawa, Canada, so that's the capital. Thank you for that. All the Nebraskans are like, uh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> glad, there was, glad there wasn't a quiz. Just in case they're like, Toronto, Toronto, is that the capital? You know, people from Toronto think that it's the center of the multiverse. So, I just like to point out that Ottawa's... <laughs> at least the capital of Canada, but a beautiful family. Both my parents are alive in their faith. I would say they respectively encounter Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit in their university years. Nice. They actually both were born, grew up in India, but they met in the Toronto area, the center of the multiverse, and uh, <laughs> and then got married, moved to Ottawa. So I grew up in this environment where my family right away was filled with faith. We started attending this church uh, when I was about six years old called St. Mary's in Ottawa, which is the birthplace of a religious community called the Companions of the Cross, which happens Mm. to be the Society of Apostolic Life is the technical term that I now belong to as a priest. Wow, that's awesome. So there's a lot of years between those two. So I grew up there at St. Mary's and and St. Mary's at the time, so this is like the 80s, just to date myself a bit, is this parish that's coming alive under the leadership of Father Bob Adard, the founder of this community. And he was the pastor at the same time Mm. and just kind of an early innovator in his own right, you know, experimenting with things, trying to do Mm -hmm. parish renewal back before parish renewal was cool. He was evangelizing before that was a buzzword. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's the environment in which I grew up in. Wow. And he was starting a community while serving as a parish priest. Yeah. I mean, it was never part of the plan. He himself was born in 1929, right before the big crash. He was ordained in 55. Mm. And 20 years he served a priest, mostly in high school. And he was just sort of like a good professional clergyman type thing, hardworking and all that. He was beloved, good basketball Mm -hmm. coach, all that sort of thing. But he had this experience in 1975, which just switched him on. 
and he had this this renewal in his own mm. personal faith. He got filled with the love of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that just changed everything for him. And so fast forward 10 years, the bishop at the time in Ottawa said, hey, all this stuff, you're going around preaching, you've seen these conversions and even like healings with high school students, can you do it in a parish? And so it's 1984, he gets assigned to this little dying inner city church in Ottawa called St. Mary's. And his Canadian analogy is you could throw a snowball from one end to the other and not hit anybody because it was so dead. Hardly anybody there. <laughs> That's, that is hilarious. Yeah, we don't use, at least I've never heard the uh, the snowball analogy that's a canadian adaptation to yeah say a rock in nebraska <laughs> there you go yeah or maybe maybe an ear of corn or something i've never heard that either but. an ear of corn yes wow okay so for context now you are a pastor and you're a pastor at saint benedict's in nova scotia which some of our listeners know some don't you know some of our listeners are familiar with divine renovation the book and the the movement but for those who don't know Tell us a little bit about the story of St. Benedict's Parish. So you have these three small churches that are proximate to each other in the Halifax area. So Halifax, for your listeners, if you take Boston and go farther northeast into the Atlantic Ocean, that's where we are. We're at a whole time zone farther east. You got these three little churches. They're they're not going to make it on their own. And they actually all close. This is all within our archdiocesan plan, but under the leadership of a priest, Father Bernie O'Neill, an amazing leader in his own right. And he brings the, the communities together and they build a brand new building. Mm. And so that building opened 13 years ago, 2010. And upon the opening of that church, shortly thereafter, Father Bernie, I think it cost him his health, you know, all the work of building a new church and mm. trying to bring communities together. And there was a lot of, you can imagine, people are attached to their respective buildings and the history and and all of it. We didn't talk about this, but, you know, I mean, what you're saying is ringing very true for uh, many, many of our listeners here in the Archdiocese of Omaha, who was entering into a pastoral planning process and made, you know, some hard decisions. We're like, okay, we're going to come together as a family. And, you know, some of our churches won't be worship sites anymore. Mm. So I just, mm. what you're saying is like, yeah, that's an experience that's not foreign to those of us here in, in Omaha. For sure. And it's going to be a real headline for a lot of dioceses across the Western world for some time yet. I think they're going to be going through this sense of amalgamation and finding out how do we be a church in this 21st century where there's so much decline around us, right? So they closed these three churches, they build this brand new church, and the the pastor who did it for health reasons has to step down. Father James Malin, he is called upon to become the pastor. And he then <laughs> I remember his opening weekend, he tells the story, I wasn't there, but he tells the story about how his very first weekend, he's like, great job, everybody. Like, we got this new church. It's beautiful. You sacrificed so much and and all the change that you've been through. And you're probably like, oh, finally, like now we can stop changing. And he said, well, I hate to break it to you, but the change is just beginning. Mm. Meaning he is now beginning this work of building the Church of the Living Stones. Yeah. And so this whole cultural renewal is what he engages in. And he's the pastor for seven years. And in the last two years of that time, 2015, I showed up and I become the associate under Father James. My superior at the time was good friends with Father James from seminary. And so he sent me over to kind of do this recon mission, like <laughs> for a couple of years, go and be the the associate pastor, learn whatever I can. And then I'd be sent off to St. Elsewhere to try and apply those principles. And as it turns out, kind of a surprise to all of us, I ended up becoming the new pastor in 2017. So it's been about six years since I took over. Yeah. Wow. I mean, there's so many things I, I appreciate even just the little bit of the story that you shared. So many of us, you're talking about just what an almost universal phenomenon, at least in the West, that pastoral planning, this kind of amalgamation, groupings, families of parishes coming together is. 
And it's like, we, we can miss what it's really all about. And like, okay, finally, we've got the new church built, or we've got, you know, everybody together under one roof worshiping. And in that context, Father James was like, all right, everybody, good job. Now let's get started with the real work of renewing our faith, our culture. And one of the things that he said was, what's to stop this beautiful brand new church that just opened? What's to stop this church from being closed 20 years from now? Yeah. If we just continue along the same way that we've done church. I don't have any data on this, but I would defy anybody to give me data to the contrary. Most of the time, when we do pastoral planning and we bring parishes together in groupings, families, amalgamation, usually it accelerates the decline Mm. because we don't actually simplify administratively. We don't simplify, you know, in terms of relationally, if we still have multiple communities, we just have father hopping around one place to another, and we don't ever get back to the fundamentals of evangelization. Hmm. And man, when you add relational complexity and administrative complexity and you don't attend to the fundamentals, it is no surprise that the decline that got us into the place where we first started doing these families and groupings and amalgamation, it's no surprise that that would accelerate, that the decline would accelerate. What I love about St. Benedict's, because I'm like, everybody's like, thanks, Jim, that's really dark. (laughs) What I love about St. Benedict's is it's this bright spot of it worked. Like it worked, you know, in Omaha, we've been using this language. Our our archbishop has been talking about, he's called every parish to become a missional community. Mm. St. Benedict's is that, you know, no, no place is perfect, but St. Benedict has, has really kind of become a missional community. For those who've never been, and you guys are, a, you know, hop, skip and a jump away, what does it feel like? And if you would, what does St. Benedict's feel like that might be different than many of us have experienced in a typical parish setting. Mm. Well, first of all, I just have to say from the outset, we don't have everything together. Yeah, thank you for that. I mean, one of the biggest problems of St. Benedict is is me, the pastor. And I think surely if it wasn't for me, we'd be doing a lot better than we are. But uh, somehow God can can work mm. through our broken humanity and everything. And, and we're finding our way. If you were to come here, you would see, you know, walls that need to be painted and and tiles that are broken and grumpy parishioners and, uh, you know, all the rest of it. That's great. Okay. So you're human. That's good. That's good. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. But here's what, here's what I love, right? So I walk in on a Sunday morning and we've got greeters who are literally outside the building and and it's cold in Canada. Even right now it's cold. Still in in May, hence hence the snow snowball analogy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so you got people welcoming whoever's coming in, whether they're the regulars or it's their very first time. We presume that there's going to be new people with us every single weekend, and and actually, I know factually that every single weekend, at least one, if not multiple masses, I'm meeting people that are coming up to me and they're like, "Hey, Father, I'm here for the very first time." Now, some of them are new Canadians. Some of them, they haven't been to church in a very long time. Some of them have never been to church. They got brought along by a friend, but I'm literally meeting people every week. I have to stop you right there. Every week, you, just as the pastor, are getting multiple people who are like, they've come to your parish for the first time. That's not an exaggeration. Between myself and the associate pastor, this is our experience week after week. And our presumption is that we are expecting there to be brand new people. Mm-hmm. And so if you speak in a way and if you create an environment in a way that presumes mm. outsiders are coming to visit, guests are coming, new people are there, then eventually in time, they might feel safe to come or mm. a regular person might feel like, hey, I could bring my friend who I really love, who's far from God, I could bring them to this environment because they might not feel judged. They might actually feel welcomed. I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself, but one of the things that happens early in Mass is just after the opening greeting, I'll just say, hey, I want to say welcome. Welcome to everybody here and a special welcome to anybody who's here for the first time. And it's it's just almost like a rote thing that I say. I mean, I mean it from my heart, but I, I try to say it every Mass on Sunday. But you made hospitality a habit. Yeah, yeah. And I have people who come up to me and they're like, yeah, you guys are just like, so welcoming, like you you acknowledge that we're here. 
it wasn't a big deal, but it's part of the culture, right? It's, yeah. it's what's in the atmosphere that we now take for granted. So that one of the phrases that early on as we were trying to build this culture that was used and really it was borrowed from alpha culture is radical hospitality. Not just hospitality, but radical hospitality. We want people to feel like so loved that like, wait, you were expecting us? Like you wanted us? You're, you're thrilled that we're here? As opposed to, why are you sitting in my pew? You know? like Yeah. Oh, that's so good. What else? Like give give people like this fantasy right trip to Halifax. So so they're walking in, they're being greeted by joyful parishioners who are part of the hospitality ministry. Mass begins, and for myself, uh, we have music in different styles uh, across the weekend. We have four different masses, and there's at least a couple of very distinct styles. And we try to, if you will, span the breadth of the contemporary and what I call the contemplative. I find sometimes using the word traditional can have baggage with it, but I love personally, both styles move me to prayer. Mm. And we recognize that different people, I mean, music is such a, a personal thing that that can unlock the heart and, and help us to pray. And so we want to make it available to Hey, if this moves you, then check out this mass or try different masses and see what moves you. But but I find what even as a priest, if I'm rushing or or I've had a hard morning so mm-hmm. far, I didn't sleep well, or I'm like, oh, I have to celebrate mass again. Believe it or not, you know, I don't mean to scandalize your <laughs> listeners, but sometimes celebrating mass is not the epitome of bliss and uh, <laughs> you know walking on clouds. I yeah. will process in, and by the time I. I get from the back of the church to the front of the church. If the band is playing, say, Sunday morning, I just find I'm worshiping God. Mm. And the music is, I've had a total heart change where I am, I'm entering into this space. By the way, it's not just that they're performing at the front. I can hear the voices of the people in the congregation yeah. singing along. They're entering in. This is part of their prayer. Right. They're worshiping too. And so I get to the front. And again, we try to engage people. We we do this thing that, you know, take it or leave it. We call it prayer partners, but it's a way of rather than just a meet and greet, but at the start of mass to say, hey, turn to somebody near you and, uh, you know, learn somebody's name real quick and just take a second and say, hey, during mass today, I'm going to pray for you. And would you pray for me? Mm. So it's a way of connecting people together. And then later during the prayers of the faithful, we, we pause for a second and say, hey, just turn to your prayer partner and just remind yourself of who, who that person is and close your eyes and just quietly in your heart, just offer up a little prayer for them. So again, it's trying to, what's the culture? And this is a theological principle. The mass is not a solo prayer. Yeah, And so often people show up and they think, I just want to have this like beautiful, private, personal prayer mm-hmm. experience, me and God. And of course, there's moments in the mass, I mean, that are so personal where I get to receive Jesus, the Eucharist into myself. But the mass is a, it's a public, a corporate prayer that we do together. And so often yeah. you're sitting in a pew and it's almost like, I don't, care who's in the pew next to me. I don't certainly don't know their name. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I'd prefer if I can't see them in my peripheral vision. Thank you for sh- sharing that, Father, because I feel like, you know, oftentimes we get disconnected from each other. And I heard this beautiful phrase once, I just like, you know, the, the Lord just gives us a handful of ways to supercharge our prayer. Humility, a number of different things, you know, the combination of fasting. But one of those is to pray in unison with other disciples. Mm. Like the mass is the epitome of that. We have all of God's people in this little locale have gathered together to pray as one. So there's a reason why we're together. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, you know, a little bit more than proximity, I think is what the church has in mind there. So. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I could go on and on, but but I'll just say quickly that, you know, there's intentionality. I think and somebody... Somebody said that, who is one of our newer leaders coming to the church, and she just said, there's something I noticed. Everything you guys do is intentional from, we try our, for our preaching to be intentional. In fact, just before we got on recording here, I was, I was with my associate pastor. He's preaching this coming weekend, but we were we have a collaborative process where he was sharing with me, 
his first draft of his his homily i'm giving him feedback we're trying to make the message as intentional as possible even the announcements we do at the end of mass we want them to be the right the right things that will be central to our mission that will move the ball forward and that impact everybody as opposed to announcing you know everything you know just kind of reading off this big long laundry list right the, yeah the calendar appointments for the next week i love that i mean one of the things that saint benedict is known for is making disciples mm. you mentioned intentionality that you all are intentional about like this is why we're here the lord has commissioned us he's like go therefore and make disciples and everything we do in some way shape or form is at the service of that mission how does your parish make disciples? Stephen Covey has this famous quote, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. I love that. And the main thing is to make disciples. Like we just, and and by the way, that's just not Father Simon or Father James or St. Benedict Parish. Like as a parish, I mean, I say this in all humil humility, as I reflect on the Great Commission from Matthew 28, it's not like, you know, as a parish, I got to get in a boardroom with some really smart people and strategically come up with the best mission statement for our parish. It's like, uh, we don't have that luxury. Like Jesus gave us divinely, he's appointed a mission for every parish. Now you can wordsmith that however you like. The way that we came up with it was we say, St. Benedict exists to make disciples who joyfully live out the mission of Jesus. So that's our phraseology, but essentially it's Matthew 28, right? Yeah, thank you for that. I mean, <laughs> You know, we we shouldn't have to work too hard to figure out what our mission because I mean it is kind of handed to us, and that that is beautiful and freeing. We get to focus on okay, so how do we do that? Because it's everybody's job, you know. Go therefore and make disciples. So yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. So then, how do we do it? Yeah, at Saint Benedict, our primary tool for again what I'll call corporate evangelization or fishing with a big net is using something called alpha. So your listeners might be familiar with it mm -hmm. real quickly. There's three main parts. There's usually something fun and human up front, like a meal to get people just interacting in a normal human way. Secondly, there's a video or a live talk to communicate some just really key but basic aspect of the faith. And then thirdly is and maybe the most important part is the small group discussion mm -hmm. then at the same tables where people were sitting at to unpack the message. And there's there's actually this space for people to just splash around and and share, hey, this is what hit me, or this is what I'm struggling with, or this is something that I I disagree with, or mm -hmm. I'm or I'm not quite sure about. And this is really hard for for people, especially who are wired for truth to be okay with saying, okay, I'm just going to give you a little space. Yeah, You can mess around with that. And it's okay if you disagree with something that was said. If you don't believe Jesus is God, we love you. <laughs> like, that's okay. We love you. And we really hope you'll come back next week. Yes. And what's so fascinating is there are these people who, let's say it's about 10 weeks or so, the whole Alpha course. There's people who at the start of the course, they're they're like, yeah, I don't I don't know if Jesus is God. And then by the end of the course, they just keep coming back. Yeah. They're like, here I am. I've never been in a place. Well, first of all, I'm having conversations about really deep, meaningful things with a group of strangers. Mm -hmm. And yet, where else am I going to have these conversations? Like, my family, like we don't talk about this yes. stuff or the people I work with, we don't talk about this stuff or the people I have barbecues with, we don't. And yet it's kind of this safe environment. And and even when I disagree or even when I present alternate perspectives, they still love me. Mm -hmm. I was expecting them to judge me or kick me out. And the, the paradigm is really a belong, believe, behave. And again, it's you gonna know, just break this open for a sec because it's really important. And I think Yeah, please, please do. It is important. And it's huge. In the past, I think our our Catholic paradigm was kind of a reverse of that. Like if you behave a certain way and then you believe the right things, then we will allow you to belong to our Catholic tribe. Mm -hmm. Okay. Behave, believe, belong. But we're actually flipping that. We're we're saying, you know what? 
we're going to love people so much that we're willing to play the long game mm-hmm. and start by saying, you belong. And that's why every single Sunday at Mass, I get up and I, I basically, I'm saying, you belong, welcome. Mm-hmm. And you might actually be in some kind of a irregular marriage situation, which I do not approve of. And, you know, I'd love to talk with you about at some mm-hmm. point and see how we can bring healing and rectify that. Or or you might be here and you don't believe in some core element of church teaching and you've just written off the church in this in this dimension. And but we're saying first, I don't care about that. So, I mean I do I do I'm a Catholic priest. I believe and hold everything that the church teaches and believes and holds. Yeah. But First, I, what I want you to know, the first message that I want you to not just hear from my mouth, but experience is you belong. Yeah. Welcome. And man, did it ever come out more clearly since the pandemic, this polarization, people are just drawing lines in the sand and it's, you're either, and please excuse me, I'm a, I'm an ignorant Canadian, but as I as I look to the South, I see it in a profound way, this division in the United States in politics and and even in the church, left and right and all this kind of stuff. And and it's like, if you're not with me, you're against me. And mm-hmm. there's no room for even human conversation to say, you know what, Jim, we might not agree about all the same things. We might even have different strategies for how to bring renewal to the mm-hmm. church or we might we might disagree about some pretty serious things and yet i'm willing to have a conversation with you and try to respect you mm-hmm. and i hope that you would offer me the same in return and so that's what alpha kind of creates this space that is almost like where else on planet earth are these spaces created and in the process of people like really feeling like they belong, they start to open up and we can share, hey, now that you know that I love you, can I share with you about some of the things I believe about Mm -hmm. this person who has made such a difference in my life, this person named Jesus? And I'm hoping that you will start to believe these things that I believe. And in time, that your whole lifestyle, your the way you behave, all that will get in alignment with this Jesus. Father, I love that because I think it is very sound biblically and theologically. And there's some nuance, you know, that maybe like, you know, junior theologians listening to might might want to like, there's a, there's levels of belonging, you know, we're not inviting atheists sure, you know, to sure. partake of the Eucharist. No, of course not. Yeah. yeah. And yet there, there's a human level of belonging that is essential if we're ever going to get them to a place of faith where they can share with us the Lord's table. And I think it's sound theologically, but even more than that, the proof is in the pudding. You are seeing lives changed. Hmm. Can you just talk a little bit about the conversions, the life change that is just a regular part of the experience of being a disciple, uh, being a member of the St. Benedict's community? Sure. Well, I have a question first to throw to your listeners, and and it's maybe a provocative question, but is your parish making disciples? And and I'll even add in, is your parish making new disciples? Mm. And would you have a way of knowing? And what are the indicators at St. Benedict's is, okay, yeah, are we committed to some kind of tool to make disciples? And yes, we are. It's called Alpha. And we pour energy. And I personally, at least once a year, will sit in a small group. I'll be shoulder to shoulder with people who are far from God. And I'll just mm-hmm. spend a lot of time listening. And it's good for me to understand. So as a priest, as a pastor, I'm communicating, this is a top priority for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I preach about it from the ambo regularly, and especially in a lead up to Alpha. Are people in your parish inviting other people? And we have stories of almost like a chain of people where a parent or a grandparent, I should say, has this conversion. They invite their children to take Alpha, who then invite their children, the grandkids. So you've got generations of people who have who have started coming back to church. One of the stories I'm thinking of where this grandfather, he lost his wife and became an alcoholic. Mm. And it was through being invited back to church, taking Alpha, that he was freed from the shackles of that. Man, that's beautiful. And there was this trickle-down effect down to a few generations. And so we've got 
stories of conversion. We've got RCIA, or we're calling it now OCIA numbers here at our parish. Our, this year, this Easter, were kind of astounding. We had, was it a couple dozen people um, going through and 13 baptisms? Wow. 13 baptisms. I've never seen that in my priesthood. Yeah, it'd give us a scope. Like, this is not, you're not a, like, a, you know, 50,000 no, no, no. person pair. I mean, how big is St. Benedict's for scope? So, we're seeing about 1,300 people on a weekend. So, that's a typical weekend for us right now as we're yeah. emerging from the pandemic. And again, here in the East Coast, we were about two years in and out of lockdowns from March 2020 to March 2022. So, I think that had a greater impact on us for sure. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. But you're seeing like all of these people coming into the church and not just people who are like, well, you know, I was Lutheran and I didn't like, but these are people who they need to be baptized because they had no faith background. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just like in the olden days, it's like, I'm marrying somebody. So I guess I got to go through the the motions, jump (laughs) through the hoops. She's making me. Well, I mean, her mother's making me. Exactly. Exactly. No, these are people who they are getting switched on. And I just actually celebrated a wedding a couple of days ago for this beautiful couple, both of whom they had previously been married, both marriages respectively had broken down for whatever reason. And mm. the husband grew up Catholic and he had abandoned his faith at a certain point. And it was when his marriage failed, he started searching and he was like, I need to, I think I need to rebuild my life and church has got to be a part of that. And mm. he ended up at St. Benedict and took Alpha and his faith started to come alive. He got he joined the hospitality ministry and just got involved. And and then meanwhile, he's like on some dating app or whatever and connects with this this other lady and they meet for coffee. And by, by their second date, he's like, listen, I gotta tell you something. Like faith is is really important for me. And she's got zero faith background. Hmm. And she's like, Really? And these are people like in their 50s or whatever, right? Can I come visit your church? And it's like, sure. And uh and so she comes, and the very first week she was there, they were there early because he's setting up for hospitality. Or whatever. She sits in the back pew. The band is rehearsing before mass, and she's having this powerful experience. She she knows now that it was the Holy Spirit just filling her with this peace and the sense like I've come home. Mm. And so she's then like curious and wants to know more and. And I think it was one of these weeks in the middle of the pandemic where there's really small numbers and she's she's waiting for her boyfriend at the time uh, to finish up. And one of our parishioners says, hey, like, you're fairly new here, right? Like, can I invite you to come try Alpha? And she says, oh, thank you. You're so kind, but I'm actually not Catholic. And this person says, well, perfect. It's not just a program for Catholics. Like, it's, it's yeah. designed for anybody, including people who have never experienced God or or never experienced church or or who are coming back after a long time. And she's like, oh, like I'm allowed to go to that thing. And it's like, yeah. And so she comes, has this powerful experience. She joins OCIA in preparation and for becoming Catholic. And uh this past Easter I got to baptize her and confirm her and and then a few weeks later celebrate her wedding. And it's just an absolute privilege to see the messiness of people's lives. Yes. And yet I would rather work with somebody who's got a whole bunch of mess and baggage and brokenness. Mm -hmm. And the Lord knows that I have lots of my own stuff. And yet who has had a kind of conversion experience and who is not demanding the sacraments or looking for some kind of drive-through transactional experience Mm -hmm. of sacraments, but is saying, I've encountered Jesus and I'm hungry to receive him through these sacraments. And man, I'll stand on my head to work with somebody like that. Yeah. Okay. Now, Father, first off, two things are just kind of like exploding in my head here. One is, this is so beautiful. And I know we haven't even scratched the surface of, I would just talk about kind of the fruit and the experience of what's been happening. But I know there are people who are listening who are saying, we could never do that Mm -hmm. in my parish. Some of those are probably pastors or their parish leaders, staff members. Mm. I just want to give you a chance. You wrote a beautiful book, you know, Divine Renovation Apprentice, Learning to Lead a Disciple-Making Parish. I just want to give you a chance to tell, tell a little bit more of your story, 
because, I mean, you mentioned this at the beginning, but there's this beautiful momentum happening at St. Benedict Parish. Sure. You know, under Father Mallon, 2017, you get handed the keys. Mm. And other than the fact that you and Father Mallon dress alike, <laughs> a lot of black, but, but like you guys are different people. Sure. Talk a little bit about like the difference between the two of you, your personal style, because I think we both believe you don't have to be a super evangelist. You don't have to be a super priest. You don't have to fit one mold, mm. whether it's lay or a clerical. There's not just one way to do this. There are, are principles that bring the gospel to people and that bring parishes to life. Absolutely. Can you just share a little bit of your story? Sure. So, I mean, Father James and I, where I, I often joke, when I first met him, he's like, there's so many similarities in our story. And I was I was sitting across the table, we were having pizza, and and I was like, I'm looking at myself, like a version of myself, 12 years older and Scottish, you know? And and then he'll he'll add and with hair. Now I know your viewers can't see me, but I'm I'm challenged in that department. But in any case, the similarity is this: that we both had powerful conversion experience where we encountered the unconditional love of Jesus. And both in our teenage years, I don't have time to get into it, but I was about 18. And I even though I grew up going to Catholic church my whole life, but I had this personal moment of I am loved. And in fact, if I could just pause there for a second, I just want your listeners to know that they are loved. Like you are loved by Jesus. If you're taking the time to listen to me, you know, some some random Canadian priest, I hope there's there's something in this for you. But I know that you're at the pointy end of the spirit. You're putting yourself out there. You're trying everything you possibly can. You want to see the church come alive. And maybe some of your efforts feel like, is this going anywhere? Is this fruitless? Am I wasting my time? I don't know how much longer I can hang on. Mm. I just want you to know Jesus sees you and you are loved. Thank you. Thank you. Like we we need that. Like everything comes from that. Father James and I were similar in that we've been loved by Jesus, even, even through our brokenness and our sin and our everything. And so the call to not just to be priests, but but to be leaders in the church, again, every person listening right now, I want you to know Jesus needs your leadership in whatever place, whatever role, whatever position, he needs you to step up and to be a leader in the mission of the church. And so the thing is, all of us, there's this rich tapestry in that we're all made differently. And and so Father James and I, to answer the question is, Father James is this phenom. He's, uh, you know, this incredible priest, this amazing, you know, world traveling conference speaker. He's written several books. He's, he's an amazing communicator. And one of his gifts is he's, he's got vision. Like God has made him a visionary. He can see this God-given picture of the future that uh, that produces hope and passion in people. And so even though as the church is in decline and, mm-hmm. you know, our own diocese went through this major restructure, we went from 65 parishes, 90 unique buildings down to 20 parishes just in the last few years, just actually just months before COVID hit. So, Wow. Wait, wait, 60, say, say that again, because that's huge. 65 parishes with whatever that number is, 25, say, mission-type other buildings, down to 20 parishes. Wow. So that, that means a lot of amalgamations and mm-hmm. mergers and stuff like that. Now, now there, that doesn't mean that we closed all those buildings, and that's part of we're in this season of trying to figure out how do we move forward with that. But all of that was done at the beginning of 2020, and then COVID hit. Mm. So you can just imagine the double whammy. Yeah. And so in the midst of people just drowning and church in decline, and are people even going to come back after COVID, a guy like Father James continues to have this vision of the future that God has for his church, mm-hmm. this church that is meant to be alive and 
and a church that's on mission, that's actually reaching the lost, mm-hmm. that's reaching the people who are who are so desperate and they don't even know that they need Jesus, but they're they're searching everywhere else. Anyways, so so Father James has this vision, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not that guy. Like I, I can talk about other people's vision. There is some kind of vision somewhere deep in my heart that that the Lord places, but it takes me a long time to get there. I'm way more concrete, practical, mm-hmm. on the ground. I'm just like I, I mean, I can work hard, you know, but I'm, I'm just a, I'm just a priest. Mm-hmm. Especially when I stepped in at St. Benedict, I'd been ordained six years when I arrived, so eight years when I took over as pastor. It was my very first time being a pastor anywhere, mm-hmm. and at this, like, kind of this big parish that's complex, and people are watching us. We were live streaming from 2014 onwards. We'd been online, right before it was cool. Yeah, and and so. I struggled personally as a leader just with the identity of of being a leader like even recently yeah. it's like I'm not I'm not a leader like I'm just I'm just a guy I'm just a priest and and so there's all this imposter syndrome and mm-hmm. all this kind of pressure and okay like I hope I'm not the guy who messes it up like like the whole thing doesn't spiral down and die on my watch you know you know thank you for sharing that cuz I I mean, you're not the only one who feels those things, but you're one of, you're unique in that you're willing to talk about it and invite the Lord into it. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you, how do you overcome that? I mean, a lot of prayer. I have some great coaching and I think that's like a secret. I I think I've heard people say that's, that's the dirty little secret of corporate executives. Like you see these high level people leading massive organization, corporations, they all have coaches who are secret like in the background, I mean, hidden kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think as priests and pastors, it's so helpful to have that kind of support. Somebody who can speak into your life, lift you up when you're when you're yeah. beating yourself up and also help put you in your place and keep you humble when when you're starting to get uh, run ahead of, of God and, and his plans for the church. Thank you for sharing that because I feel like sometimes there can be this stigma for any of us, you know, if you have a leadership responsibility of getting help. But I think the reverse is true. Like when you actually see people who are performing at an exceptionally high level, when you really look under the hood, they're like, they've got Hmm. multiple coaches and and consultants and help and people and a team surrounding them. I mean, even the Lone Ranger wasn't actually a Lone Ranger. He had a great horse and he had a friend named Tonto (laughs) and he had the old guy in the silver mine. Like, (laughs) <laughs> you know, even like I forget the old guy's name. Even the Lone Ranger wasn't. Lo- I love that. I love that. I'm gonna write that down. Yeah. Even the Lone Ranger wasn't actually a Lone Ranger. But sometimes we we imagine, and I don't think it's a particularly American pitfall. I'm sure Canada isn't uh, immune to it. But like, there's like, oh, that there's going to be this lone hero, and it's just not true. Right. It's just not oh, true, man. and it's certainly not true in the world of the gospel. Jesus, Jesus could have been a Lone Ranger. And yet he had a team. Listen, there's a whole team of people keeping me alive. And it's just a fact, like I have a spiritual director, I have a leadership coach. I periodically talk to a counselor. In fact, just last night I was on a call with my counselor and and I live in community. I I have a religious community. So I have brother priests who I live with who are just great support to me. I have a, a parish leadership team. So with my associate pastor, there's two other lay women who are just amazing lay leaders. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want to talk about like, what's the role of women in the church? And I don't want to open up a can, but I'll tell you what, these two women that work with me, Noreen and Tanya, they are way better leaders than me in just about every way. And I learn from them and I'm just so blessed. Right. They make me a better leader, right? So I, I'm just surrounded by, by incredible leadership I, I'm definitely not alone so any of the things that are that are working well again we're, we're kind of talking about okay father James is a different kind of leader what about you well it's taken years to and there's been some changes in the team and even there's some natural staff turnover even when a when a pastor leaves or whatever yeah and but I've had to build a team around my unique set of strengths mm-hmm. and my many many weaknesses which is not the exact same team that Father James had right. around, again, his strengths and, and his weaknesses. And that's okay, right? But it sometimes it takes time to even understand ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we use tools like StrengthsFinder and, and APEST is another apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. So these are tools that can help us both 
grow in self-knowledge, but also grow in, in awareness of the people around us. And what, what do I need to compliment myself? And, and I think that's, again, another secret to saying, when I compare myself to Father James, in a vacuum, it's like, I could never do what that guy does. Like, forget about it. Yeah. I might as well just quit. But when I say, okay, first of all, God has anointed me. And again, whether you're a priest, a religious, a lay person, you're married, you're single, if you're baptized, mm -hmm. you have, and I, please don't confuse this with your ordained priesthood, but you have been anointed priest, prophet, king. You have a role to play that is essential just by virtue of your baptism. So please don't shirk that responsibility, but step up, step yeah. up to the plate. <laughs> we need you. Yeah. We need you. And and the beautiful thing is, so now we get to be a church that is built with these teams of people working together. Please support your priests, your pastors, because I'm sure they need it. The last thing we need is priests who are out there dying on the vine by themselves. Mm. But together, I think we can actually make a difference and and start to build this culture change for the church that 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 we need to become in not only the 21st century but in a post Christendom yeah. world and and that's just the reality that's a fact I don't I don't I'm not as familiar with with Omaha and although I did go to Broomtree I did a retreat at Broomtree uh, nearby in South yeah. Dakota some years ago yeah we we love it yeah that's awesome little shout out for Broomtree I mean I would say that Omaha you know the commentators that I've heard have experienced both cultures like we're we're maybe I don't know five seven years in kind of the cultural behind in the cultural decline of mm. the secularization that Canada has experienced. Sure, sure. But we're not that far behind. So fair enough, right? And, and I, I would typically look at the US and, and of course, there's micro cultures within the United States of America and then Canada and even within Canada, the East Coast. And then you keep going farther east to Europe and you can see the future. Yeah. In other words, I'll often say to people when, I, when I'm speaking to, to Americans, I'll say like, let me be the canary in the coal mine mm. because don't, don't just sit around and, and imagine that, you know, the world around you is not growing more and more secular, even at times either indifferent or hostile to the gospel. Wow. That's awesome. I mean, it's not awesome, but it's like, thank you for saying that. Like, you're like, well, we in Canada have experienced this secularization and it's coming, everybody. And like, yeah. you're not imagining it. It, yeah. it is getting a little harder day by day. Absolutely. And so, I mean, that can lead to one of two things. We can we can become filled with fear and and become paralyzed, or we can say, you know what? Now is the best moment in history to live because we can't sit back on our coattails. We can't become fat cats. We're not living in a time where the church was, you know, rich and and had power and control and and everybody just prayed, paid, and obeyed. Yeah. We actually have to be like Jesus and the apostles in this pre-Christian world and be on the front foot and say, We're gonna go. Like he told us to go, we're gonna go and make disciples. Mm. And that's our mission. So let's let's do it. And let's start with one person at a time. Amen. Father, I want to go back to something you said. We just talked a fair amount of just like how many teams and multiple teams kind of surrounding you that that collaborative culture in St. Benedict's Parish is part of the reason, I think, for the, the extreme and unique fruitfulness. You mentioned just kind of in passing at the beginning that you and your assistant prepare your homilies together. I think I've heard that you actually prepare homilies with others as well. Could you just like address a little bit about what that looks like in practice? Because I think for many people, lay people at least, the idea of a priest prepping his homily with someone, okay, well, maybe another priest, like that's a, that's a foreign concept. But I think it's an embodiment of this humble, communal commitment to sharing the gospel. Could you just talk a little bit about what that that preparation looks like in practice? Sure, absolutely. So one of the principles that came to me is that leadership is a team sport. Mm -hmm. And I would say preaching can be a team sport as well. Mm. And so often, when you think of culture, we're talking about this at the beginning, what would make Sunday amazing? 
three of the things that the three H's that get, get named often would be hospitality, hymns, music, and homilies. Yeah. And when you think of hospitality at our parish, we literally have, I don't know, over a hundred people in the hospitality ministry who rotate through and they're serving on a weekend, greeting people. Wow. It's not hard to train somebody to smile and shake a hand or hold the door open. Right. So you, we got this massive team of people who are in hospitality. When it comes to music and hymns, you need a little bit of specialization, some musical training maybe to, we don't want to put everybody up front in front of a microphone. <laughs> you know, some people it's better if they sing, but from their pew. <laughs> I love it. So you've got a team of people or, or several teams leading the worship, the hymns, if you will, mm -hmm. on Sunday to create that culture. Now, when it comes to the homily, which, and I've, I've talked to parishioners, dear friends of mine who said, look, you know, the mass, it's basically the same thing week after week. And, you know, you cycle through the, the songs, but you're pretty much, you're familiar. You get, you know, similar songs on the, on the bounce of the year. The one thing that changes that we're looking forward to is the homily each week. Mm. Like that's the one thing that's unique, that's different, that, you know, has the potential to be really meaningful or extremely boring. <laughs> and in most places, it's prepared and then delivered by a team of one. Mm. And it's like, why? If this thing is so important, why? <laughs> Wouldn't we want to benefit from the input, the expertise, the help of, of others? The prayer, right? The prayer of others. The prayer, oh, totally, totally. So we've we've got this... And there's been different iterations over the years, but we've got a small preaching team. Now, currently it's made up of my brother companions, so a brother priest and a seminarian. But in the part of the process, we check in with our, our communications person, and he's the one who's making like really cool graphics for slides, visuals. Mm -hmm. You know, people can go to youtube.com slash Saint BP, S-A-I-N-T-B-P, if, if they want to check out some of the stuff. So he's helping. He's also the one who's helping create a phrase for our preaching series. So something catchy that will grab people's mm. attention. So right now we're in this preaching series, five weeks called The Essentials, as an example. Mm. So we're getting back to some of the essentials of our culture and we're we're preaching from the scriptures of the weekend, but we're trying to highlight key cultural elements that make this parish unique and beautiful and that we want to keep growing in. Mm. And so typically there's the guy who's preaching, whether it's a priest or deacon that weekend, he'll he'll start working on he'll start praying, reflecting, reading scripture, reading some commentaries, start drafting his homily, and then at a certain point, he'll have a first draft. And so say on a Friday afternoon, he'll he'll write it up in a Google Doc and he'll share that Google Doc with the rest of the the people on the team. And we'll meet, we'll pray, we'll read through it, we'll start giving feedback. We'll I'll I'll be writing comments, let's say. It's uh, my associate who's preaching. I'll, I'll write comments and, and suggestions in the margins, and then we'll go through and And I might even try to whiteboard, like reverse engineer, like here's, I think, the outline that you're trying to create in this message, or here's some things that are super clear. This is an area that's really, really unclear, or the story you tell here, it doesn't seem to fit with the main arc of the message. Or he'll be struggling to say, this is what I think I'm trying to say, but I can't think of a of an introduction to grab people's attention. Can you help me with that? Or or can you think of an example of somebody's life in the parish who's just been transformed that would be a great illustration for this particular point? Wow. I mean, this is astounding. This is way beyond like, hey, do you have a good joke I could start with? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is like, you are really co-laboring together to preach the word of God. How does the kind of prayer and discernment as you kind of, you know, meditate? I, I love the way Pope Francis talks about enjoy the gospel, you know, his his kind of letter. He talks about, you know, good preachers are contemplating the word of God and they're contemplating their people. Mm. How does that how does that enter into it? Yeah, absolutely. So I mean obviously the number one, the VIP or not the the MVP, sorry, the MVP on every preaching team is the Holy Spirit, right? Amen. I think he's the principal agent of evangelization, principal agent of preaching as well. And so we're calling upon the Spirit where we're trying to be very intentional in our preaching. So we're planning out a few months in advance at, at the minimum. Wow. A few months. So we're saying, you know, over the next couple of months, let's do a couple of things. We'll, we'll look at the scriptures, we'll go through the lectionary, and we'll also say, 
where do we think our people are at? What's the the desperate need right now? Okay, we there's a sense of we need to grow deeper in prayer. So we need to do, let's do a preaching series on prayer to help take people deeper in mm. their personal prayer lives. You're pastoring through your preaching. Absolutely. What does my flock need? Well, I think preaching is one of perhaps one of the most essential and most underleveraged elements of leadership. Mm. Like to be able to move a people from here to there. In the past, when I was a young priest, I could, you know, start a homily with a with the funny joke and try to make a point from the scripture and and do it in a way that was kind of engaging and interesting and people weren't looking at their watches. <laughs> but what I've found now is I'm able to preach in a way that's strategic and intentional and it helps move the ball forward that the people remember what's been said. Mm. I mean, the best feedback when they're like, they can say, hey, when you said that, Father, a few weeks ago, like, I started to do this in my life or this caused me to go and talk to somebody who I'd been avoiding or whatever. Oh, that's so cool. Father, like, our time has just flown. And I know we were just talking about, you know, like, preaching. And there's a limited number of us who'll be invited to to join that. You you wrote a book though. So for those who are listening who are like nerding out, they're like, oh my gosh, I just love that. You know, maybe priests, deacons, or those who have been invited. You and Father James Mallon co-wrote a book, Preaching on Purpose, right? Yeah. Actually, Father James wrote the forward, but there were four of us others who co-wrote it. So myself, Father Alex, my associate, another priest from Australia named Father Chris, and a, a Wesleyan minister, believe it or not, who has really been influential and helped me to grow, named Rob McDowell. So, you know, this willingness, this humility to let's learn from anybody we can. So so the four of us co-authored this book, Preaching on Purpose. And it's honestly, anybody who's interested in communicating well or who cares about the gospel, there, I think there's some gems in there for anyone, but it's it primarily, yeah, priests and deacons, bishops would would really benefit. Awesome. We will link to it in the show notes here. Father, maybe just to close here, like, what would you say to somebody listening? They, they want to be a part of helping their parish become a missional community, you know, to kind of like, they want to be part of this renewal. Where do they begin? I would say if there was one thing, and I, and I go back to the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Mm. And the main thing is to make disciples. So what are you personally doing and, and how is your parish making disciples. And and if it's not, that's okay. Or if you're not, that's okay. But you can choose to begin. Mm. There's this great document from July of 2020, the Congregation of Clergy, where they they talk about the parish and this missional role in which the parish plays. Mm -hmm. And there's this one one paragraph where they quote JPT, Benedict the Sixteenth, and then Pope Francis, back to back to back, and and I love the JPT quote. He says that in a parish, evangelization must become primary, preeminent, and preferential. Wow, primary, preeminent, preferential. Like he is not missing his words. This has got to be the main thing, and so we can get so bogged down in parish life with so much stuff. And we have to kind of have the courage to cut through that and be okay with saying, we're going to hit pause on something or we're going to spend a little bit less time or a little bit less energy on something else so that we can make sure that we're actually evangelizing, helping people discover Jesus. And and again, I'm not just talking about let's deepen the faith of people who are already in the pews, who are already pretty faithful. I'm talking about being able to reach the kind of person who you can say like that now married wife who's just coming to who who said that day, hey, do you want to try Alpha? And she said, Oh, I'm not Catholic. No, that's okay. Yeah. This is for you. And whether you use Alpha or some other tool, but a kind of thing that anyone, literally any like I just say cast the net far so that anyone can feel like they can start by belonging in your parish community. And then you can start to work on the other stuff of, but don't rush ahead. Don't speed up the process. Don't try to short circuit into belief or demanding behavior. Mm. You got to love them. You'll get there in time if you help them to belong first. Wow. Thank you. Father, thank you for your time. Thank you for being with us. This has been fantastic. Uh, and thank you for your 
Thank you for your ministry, sharing your story. I really appreciate just the, just your honesty and humility and, you know, the, the way you have taken up the reins of St. Benedict as yourself and, and let the Lord, you know, gift you people for the journey. So thank you. Thanks so much, Jim. I just want to say uh, thanks for what you're doing with the Archdiocese in Omaha and, and to all the people listening. I travel a little bit. I have to say what I'm hearing about Omaha, not just the fact that your archbishop is the guy who wrote Star Wars. That's pretty cool. <laughs> but you guys are really, you're onto something. Keep going with it. Keep continuing to put the focus on mission, on Jesus. God is going to use you. And so thank you for what you're doing in Omaha. Awesome. Thanks, Father. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to the EquipCast. We hope this episode has inspired you to live your faith and equip you to be fruitful in your mission. Stay connected with us by going to equip.archomaha.org. God bless and see you next time.